For those of you who maybe this is your first time or maybe it's your first time in a long time, uh, we have been going through a series for the past several weeks called, you guessed it, Not the Same. Uh, the whole idea behind this series is that we've been looking at different encounters in, of Jesus with people in the Gospels and how those people have left meeting Jesus. They left there not the same. Now, one of the most fun things about this series for me is that it's 13 weeks long and I am only doing seven of them and the other six... Yeah, that's right, Matt. Uh, the other six are members of our church and additional staff members that are leading throughout the series. And so, of course, our other staff has shared, Brother Evan has shared, and Brother Corey has shared, and that's always uh, an exciting time for us to be able to hear from them and what the Lord's been pouring into their lives. But we've also heard from several of our members, uh, Ron McCulley, our, our, our resident sound man, or I guess media man, who's always in the back. You don't see him that often. One of our Sunday school teachers, he um, has shared. Our, our resident preacher, is that what we call you, Donald? I'm not really sure. Uh, our resident preacher, uh, member, substitute, uh, Sunday school teacher, everything that we need whenever we need it. Uh, Brother Donald Pounders, he has shared, which has been exciting. We've got a couple of more of our members who will also be sharing. And listen, I am just, I, I'm, I'm so thankful, and I hope we realize how blessed we are here at First Baptist Saltillo for the many people that we have in their gifts and their abilities, how many people we have that are just gifted communicators of the word. And so I'm excited that there are members of our church that you are getting to hear from as the Lord pours into their life. So I need to stop talking because I'm not the one preaching this morning. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. Uh, Brother Jeffrey Bird is going to make his way up here. You know Jeffrey. He's been here for a long time. I have invited him to share in this series. And so tag, you're it, ready or not, uh, this morning uh, is, is yours. And so we're excited to hear what the Lord has been preparing. And to be honest, I, after talking with Jeffrey and preparing a lot of these over the weeks, by the way, I feel like I'm fired up and ready to preach it right now. So if he goes down, uh, I've got his notes and we'll just keep on going uh, with, with whatever the Lord has for us. So listen, here's what I want to do a little different this morning. I'm going to pray for Jeffrey. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our time in the word. And then brother, you, uh, you share with us Amen. this morning. So let me pray. Father, we love you and thank you. Jesus, you are awesome. God, your word is more powerful. It's better. It's greater. Your truth is what we need. So right now, Lord, we ask that you will just hide Jeffrey behind your cross. God, let us hear from you this morning and not anybody else. Father, we want you to use your word to change our lives. Jesus, this time is yours. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother. Well, good morning. Um, welcome to First Baptist South Hill, whether you are um, joining us in person or online, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. Um, like Brother Danny said, for the ones that don't know me, my name's Jeffrey Byrne. Um, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a speaker. I'm not even worthy to be on the stage, to be honest. But what I am is I'm somebody that's trying to be obedient to God and, and share something that God laid on my heart. And, um, you know, I even said to Brother Danny, I was, I was Googling some stuff about public speaking because this is not me. And I said, you know, I, I was Googling fears. And it's fears of insects, fears of snake, fears of space, fear of water, fear of whatever you want to take it. And what I found, I found one, one study, I guess, that said that the fear of public speaking rated higher than death. So... Technically, I would rather be in the casket than preaching my funeral. So, um, 
And Brother Danny's wise world of, uh, words of wisdom, when I told him that, his answer to me was, was quit Googling. So I did. <laughs> um, for those of you who do know me, whether you knew I was preaching here or speaking here today or what, I promise you I'm just as surprised as you are. I've come a long ways. It's been a journey. Before I go any further, I just want to give one thing to this Bible. The best part about this Bible is God's holy word. Second part, best part to me about this Bible, it was my dad's and it's been used. And I know if my parents were here today, they would be a lot of prayers answered because I know they prayed a lot of prayers over me. And I'm very thankful that God picked them to be my parents. I have one more thing. I promise I'm going to get started, but I kind of have a disclaimer. Um, I had a prediction too, but I'm not going to share that. My disclaimer is, is you're not going to hear a lot of big words from me today. You're probably not going to hear the Greek meaning of this word is whatever, because I don't know what it is. Um, you're probably going to hear a lot of words like ain't and y'all and that slang kind of stuff like that. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but that's just how I talk. So I hope you hear my heart, not my poor grammar. And if you've heard me speak before, there's a chance you're going to hear stories that you've heard before. Um, so let me tell you how I got here. I guess that's kind of where this journey began. As many, many, many weeks ago, as Danny, Brother Danny said, this, it's been 13 weeks, and I don't know how soon before that, he came to me and he goes, hey, I want to bounce something off of you. We just happened to meet in the hall or something. I don't know. And he said, I got this, this series on my heart about not the same. And he said, it's going to be, just like he said, people who encountered Jesus and left, not the same. And I said, man, that sounds awesome. He said, Greg, I want you to preach one Sunday. And I'm like, I started laughing. He, he, he wasn't laughing. And when I found out that he was really for real, um, I really didn't know what to say at that point. But Brother Danny gave me a way out. He said, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. You don't have to give me an answer now. He said, I want you to pray about it, think about it, talk about it, whatever you need to do. And he said, come back and give me an answer. So for me, that was my way out. Even though there was a season in my life many years ago where I made a commitment to God where I said, God, I just want to be obedient to you. I just want you to use me. Well, in my mind and God's mind, we don't work the same way because how I was thinking about being used was not this. But in saying that, I thought, okay, Brother Danny's giving me a way out. I'm going to give this some time. I'm going to walk away. I'll come back later and I'll tell him I'm not doing it. That's kind of what I thought. So <clears throat> um, there was a flood that had hit Kentucky, eastern Kentucky. Eight Days of Hope had already deployed. And for those of you who know me, y'all know I, I try to do a lot with Eight Days of Hope. And, and Gary, Gary and Denise Lee come to me and said, hey, it's kind of on our hearts. We want to go to Kentucky. And I said, well, I'm thinking about it too. Let's talk about this. And so that's kind of where that started. But I never told Gary and Denise or anybody else what Brother Danny had proposed to me. And I don't know if you've ever been to a conference or a mission trip or a meeting or a seminar or something where there was this theme, that they had some kind of theme. I feel like we all have. I feel like we can all relate to that. Well, when you go on an eight days of hope trip, somebody somewhere picks out a theme. It may be a verse. It may be a couple verses. It may be whatever. But when you get there with eight days in hope, you do praise and worship in the morning, you do praise and worship at night. And basically what happens is they pick people that gives about a 10 minute 
devotion, testimony, whatever, about what that verse means to them. Well, when we get there, here's the verse. The verse was 2 Timothy 4.2. Here's what the verse says. It said, preach, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Nobody knows. And I mean, to me, okay, I'm going to serve. I'm going to rip out sheetrock. I'm going to gut houses. I'm going to crawl through mud. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. And here's the Bible verse. If it would have said serve, be prepared to serve in season, out of season. Be prepared to give in season, out of season. Be prepared to pray. Be prepared to do whatever. But that's not what it said. It says be prepared to preach. And that was exactly what Brother Danny had said. So the next thing that happened with that, when you go up and down this hallway, it was built like a school. Or it was a school. Um, and so what happened, they had, they sold shirts at some point, I guess, and there was 18 shadow boxes down this hall, kind of staggered. And each one had a shirt. I can't tell you what 17 of those shirts say, but I can tell you what about the third one from the end from the kitchen said. It said, it's not about me. It's about your purpose. And every day, every morning, every night, I heard somebody give a testimony on preach the word. And every day I walked up and down this hall and I would hear God saying, it's not about you. And so that's how I got here. I come back, I told Brother Danny, I said, I'm in, unless you let me out. And he didn't. <laughs> and so here we are. And um, so I started thinking about what I wanted to talk about. And, uh, and so I don't know, I guess we can all relate to Peter, but I feel like I relate to Peter, probably just like y'all do. And even in this process of trying to think about that, way back during the summer, um, I missed a Sunday because we was on vacation or somewhere and I come back the next Sunday and we're sitting in Sunday school and it's about to start. And um, Lisa, Richie's wife, looks at me and says, hey, we were talking about you last Sunday. I don't really know how to respond to that. I don't remember what I said. And finally she said, we compared you to Peter. And I said, why? Because I'm such a good fisherman? And she said, no, because you're quick to act and slow to think. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, okay. It's kind of hard, hard to argue with truth. Um, and I have a friend who would say, I resemble that remark, I tell you. But uh, so anyway, my message is a little bit different. And, and, and this series, y'all, it's been awesome. I hope y'all have enjoyed it as much as I have. But where my message is different, when you pick Peter, he had lots of encounters with Jesus. It wasn't just one encounter. And so I started looking at Peter's encounter and what, I, what, what got laid on my heart um, was it wasn't just about Peter's encounter because I related to Peter, it become about Jeffrey's encounter as well. It wasn't just Peter's journey, it was Jeffrey's journey. And for the next few minutes, that's kind of what I want to try to share if I can. My first encounter, I just titled this Peter, Peter's initial encounter with Jesus. And this comes from, from John 1, 35, 42. It says the next day John um, was there with two of his disciples. And the John that they're talking about is John the Baptist. He said when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard this, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. 
turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying. They spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You you be called Cephas, which is translated into Peter. As I think about this, before I start talking about Peter, I want to talk about Andrew for a second, because I think it's really cool that the younger brother who had met Jesus, spent a little time with Jesus, got excited about Jesus, and the first thing he wanted to do was go get his brother. And not only did he go just to tell Peter about Jesus and who he had met, he took the initiative to go get him, to bring him back. Um... There's not a lot of correspondence between, between Jesus and, we'll just say, Simon at this point. So I took the liberty to kind of improv a little bit, try to be where Peter is, what Peter's thinking, what Peter's feeling, and all this stuff. Because Simon or, or Peter, I don't know which one to say here, but anyway, had never seen Jesus before. It's his first encounter with him. And he's only there because, because Andrew brought him. And so when Jesus said, you're the son of John, maybe, maybe Peter thought that he got that from Andrew. He don't know what's going on yet. But when Jesus looks at him and says, you will be called Cephas, which is translated into Peter, I wonder what Peter's thinking. I think Peter's probably a good guy in my mind. I think he's very respectful. I don't think he's a smart aleck or anything like that. So I think he probably kept his comments to himself. But I think on the inside, he's probably thinking, who are you? You don't know me. What'd you just call me? Like, he, he don't really have a clue what's going on here. Um, but the reality is that, that Peter had a plan for Jesus' life long before Peter even knew what that plan was. Guess what? It's no different than our lives. It's no different. And I believe, even though this was the first day of Peter's journey, I believe Peter, I believe Peter still had free will. I believe he had freedom of choice. And he had to choose whether to follow Jesus or stay on his own path, which again, it's just like us. I think about all the choices I've made. I think about, I think about all the times that I was so busy, I was so running from God. I know that there's periods of my life that I've wasted because I know there's periods of my life where Jesus was chasing me and I, I wanted my own thing. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to go my own way. And I did. But I can tell you today as I stand before you, I'm so thankful that Jesus chased me all the way to my knees because that's where I ended up. I can tell you today if that's you and you're running, I can relate to that. But I can tell you, I can tell you Jesus has a plan. And I can tell you that Jesus will be right there. My next encounter, I call it the encounter of obedience. And it comes from Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says, One day Jesus was standing on the lake of Gensaray. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. We saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon and asked him to to put it out a little from shore. They sat down and talked to people from the boat. When they finished speaking, he heard Simon. I'm, I'm sorry. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, 
put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon said, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let, I will let the, down the nets. And when they had done so, he called, they caught a large number of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners and the other boat to come help them. And they, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that had been taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats to shore and left everything and followed him. This is probably one of my favorite stories about Peter. As I think about this scene, I think about you've got this whole crowd of people following Jesus and as they're coming to the shore, you've got Peter there, their boats are there, they've been out all night, they're washing their nets, and here's this guy that, as far as we know, Jesus, Peter's only seen Jesus one time before. Jesus doesn't ask permission to, to board the boat, he doesn't say anything like that, he just gets in the boat and he looks at Peter and he says, push me out a little bit so I can finish teaching. At this point, Peter could have done about anything. He could have said, no, get out of my boat. He could have done whatever, but he didn't. Peter, again, being a good guy, he pushed Jesus out. Jesus finished preaching, teaching. And when they got done, Jesus said, let's go fishing. <laughs> Peter's like, Jesus, you don't understand. But Jesus says, let's go out. Let's put the nets down in the deep. Again, Peter, think about Peter in this moment. Peter's been out all night. He hadn't caught a fish, not one. Which makes me wonder why they were washing their nets too. But if you're washing your net, that means we're done for the day. It's over. He could have said, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I've already invested all this time and money for the night. I can't afford to go anymore. In my world, it would be like, I'm busy. I've got to work. I can't do this. I can't do that. I want to go home to my wife. I want to, I got to go pick the kids up from school. I got, I, I, we got soccer games. We got baseball games. We got football. We got cheerleading. We got band. We got a hundred things happening. But that's not what Jesus, what, what Peter said when Jesus said, let's go fishing. And the one thing that I want to point out, if you read this, you go from verse 1 to verse 5, and by verse 5, here's Simon's reply. He says, Master. What happened in, in the first five verses? That tells me if you spend a little bit of time with Jesus, you're going to recognize who Jesus is pretty quick. Pretty quick. But here's where his obedience come in. He said, we, we worked hard all night. We ain't caught anything. But you know what? Because you say so. Because you say so on your word. We're going to do this. Now, I don't know if it's out of obedience. I'm still, I'm still being Jeffrey here, okay? So I don't know if it's obedience to Jesus or if I just want to prove Jesus wrong, but we're going fishing. And that's what Peter did. And guess what happened? The nets were full. The nets were breaking. They couldn't haul them in. They're hollering at their buddies on shore, come help us. Jesus has blessed them. And I think the first thing that Peter thinks about, you know what, if this is Jeffrey, I'm about to get paid. This is awesome. I ain't never caught fish like this. But then you know what, he had a God moment. And that God moment was this, when he said, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man.
Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. Everything before that moment that was so important in Peter's life, his boat, his nets, his fishing, his livelihood, his family, everything that was so important changed in one moment. Everything, all that stuff, all that stuff we collect, all that stuff, he left it all behind to follow Jesus. And you know what Peter didn't understand at first? He didn't understand what was on the other side of his one moment of obedience. That one time of saying, because you say so, I'm going to do this. And for whatever reason he did it, all of a sudden Peter sees what's on the other side of his obedience. And I can tell you it's no different from us today. Peter's one decision to be obedient. I'm sorry, I kind of got lost here. Peter's one decision not to make excuses. Peter's one moment of obedience. Peter's one moment of submission changed Peter's life forever. Peter had no clue how the stranger he had just met named Jesus was about to change his whole life because of that one moment of obedience. It's no different in our lives. That's all God's calling you to do is just be obedient. My next encounter, <clears throat> I call it Peter's encounter of faith. And it comes from Matthew 14, through 32. And it said, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, he, after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly after, before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, let me come to you and walk on the water. He said, come on. Then Peter come down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the winds, he was afraid to begin and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You're, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then there were those, in the, then those who were in the boat worshiping him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. And he sent the disciples on ahead of him by boat. Jesus goes to pray, and I think about this morning, if you've ever been on a boat or on a lake really, really early in the morning, because it says it was just before dawn, I can imagine maybe the sun's breaking a little bit, or maybe it's just the moon kind of glistening off the water. I can picture probably some fog coming up or some haze. I also picture this wind, and maybe the waves are white capping. I don't know, but it said that they're beating against the boat. And then here's this voice. They see this image first, and it says that they're terrified. Now, I don't know how many ghosts they had seen before or what they had seen before, but that's what it says, that they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. Um, but I think when Jesus said, 
Well, Jesus, I've lost him. Anyway, so anyway, Jesus called out to them. And when they realize it's Jesus, it calms their fear. I think it's pretty cool to think you've got the disciples in a boat in a storm. And just because they can't even tell that that's Jesus, they think it's a ghost or something. But when they hear the voice of Jesus, they know, they know who it is just by his voice. I wonder how many times in our life do we know when we hear Jesus talking to us? Um, do we recognize the calm voice of Jesus when we're in the middle of our own storm? What about the faith? What about the faith of Peter to step out of the boat and look straight ahead at Jesus and knows that no matter what happens, that Jesus is in control? What about us when we're in our own storms? Do we look at Jesus the same way and know that, that we're in his hands and he's got us? Do we just focus on Jesus? Or do we sometimes come out of the gate like Peter? When we come out of the gate pretty good, but when the storm hits, when it gets really bad, when it gets really rough, then we start questioning things. We lose our focus. We start to doubt. We let fear set in. We let all the things happen that Satan wants to happen, pretty much. And then here we are again, back on our knees, crying out to Jesus, going, save me. I need you. Where are you? I've heard, I've heard one of my friends say many times, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I know many times I've had to ask God for forgiveness at the start and the finish. But I know that each time that I've been through something, I pray that my faith is stronger for the next time. And for the next storm, and why I know that is because Jesus has never failed me. Not one time. There may be people in this congregation today who are battling some major storm. I don't know. I know there's some people on our prayer board that are. And my word for encouragement to you is that Jesus is there to, right there to help you. He won't leave you or forsake you. And we all have to learn to trust Jesus more. Jesus made a promise to us in Romans 8, 26. And it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us with our weakness. We didn't... We, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, help, him, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groan. I may be wrong. I may interpret this wrong. I don't know. But in my heart, I understand that Jesus knows my weakness. He knows when I'm broken. He knows when I'm scared. He knows when I'm hurt. He knows when I'm afraid. And even when I can't find the words to pray, he sends the Holy Spirit to intercede on my behalf. Which means even when I can't find the words, he feels my pain. He hears my, he hears my groan. He, he hears my tears. Jesus is on our side. But it's our place to call out to Jesus and he'll meet you right where you are. Wow. Peter's encouragement of servanthood. This comes from John 13, 1 through 17. So this is at the Passover festival. This is the Last Supper as we know it. And I'm not going to read all these verses because we're running out of time. But I'm going to set the scene for you because there's a whole lot going on here. But I think one of the most important lessons of this scene is, um, is what Jesus did when he teaches about servanthood. So basically they're at the Last Supper. Jesus gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer garment. He puts a towel around his waist. He pours water in a basin. And here he goes with his disciples and he starts washing their feet. Well, the old Peter. He gets to Peter and Peter says, 
These, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? And Jesus said, yep. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus said, then you can't be part of me. Well, Peter says, hey, shower me. Clean all of me. Bathe all of me. And Jesus is like, no, just your feet's fine. Peter had good intentions. He really did. He just knew that Jesus was king, that Jesus was superior. And so it was him that should have been washing Jesus' feet, not the, not the other way around. <clears throat> but Peter finally got the message. When I think about this scripture, though, the thing that comes to my mind the most, or one of the things is, I was serving with Eight Days of Hope in Jennings, Louisiana, and I heard a message on this, and it was called the title or the towel. And I don't think I'll ever forget this, because Jesus come to this earth as king. So he had the title. But when he got up and he put the towel around his waist, he become the servant. And what this preacher was, or person was talking about, he, he, he said, what does your towel look like? Is it dirty? Is it wet? Is it frayed? Is it worn? Or is it clean and crisp and still hanging on the rack? What does your towel look like? I think about that in the sense, for a living, one of my main jobs is I sell conveyors. And unlike my boss, I don't think when I get to heaven, God's going to be concerned about what my sales were. But I can tell you what I really believe God's going to be concerned about. God's going to be concerned about how did I bless others with the blessings he blessed me with. That's what I think he's going to be concerned about. He's not even going to be concerned. I don't know why I put this in here, but basically like being a good person. We can all feel good about doing good things. You can say, hey, I come to church. Hey, that's great. We all need corporate worship. This is awesome. You can say, I'm involved in Sunday school. That's great. You need to be involved in Sunday school. And I'll tell you something else. If you're not, I challenge you. You give God six weeks in Sunday school. You find a group. We have some teachers, amazing teachers here. I challenge you, you give God six weeks. That's six hours of your time over six weeks. And you see if God doesn't change your life. He doesn't, you, I guarantee you God will show you how important that becomes in your life just to be part of a small group. You can say, I give to the church. That's great. First Baptist needs your money. <laughs> we need to do things. We got lots of ministries. It takes money to run this stuff. You can say, I go on mission trips. Great. There's a great commission out there. We're supposed to go on mission trips. You say, I help out in different ways of the church. Great. Children's ministry, choir, clothing, food. I don't know. There's lots of places to plug in. You need to plug in. You know who else did all those things? Don't miss this. You know who else did every one of those things? Judas. Judas was on the dream team. For three years, he, he went to church. He taught. He saw miracles. He did everything. He was right there. And you know what? For 30 pieces of silver, he sold his soul. Oh, I hear you. Ouch. 
Ouch. It's easy to say, hey, I ain't like Judas. Oh, really? You may not have sold your soul, and I pray that you haven't. But if you're not sold out to Jesus, you're sold out to something. And I don't know what that is in your life. But whatever it is that's more important than Jesus in your life, that's what you're sold out to. Peter's encounter of denial. Again, this comes, I took it from Matthew 26, 31 through 35. And basically it says, and Jesus told him that very night you will fall away on my account. On account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I risen, I will go into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I would never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. If you read on, you go into Matthew 26, 69 through 75. And again, because of time, I'm not going to read it. But Peter did exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. And in fact, Luke has an encounter that's a little bit different than the other gospels. And this is what it says in Luke 22, 61 through 62. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken before him. Before the rooster crows today, he will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I think about this because even as a kid, if I got in trouble at school or something like that, at least my parents didn't see it. So it was still bad. But it was worse if my dad saw me do it, if I got caught red-handed kind of thing. It was more disappointing to me and to my dad. You know what? Newsflash. We might not be able to see Jesus as Peter did when we do something wrong, but Jesus sees us the same way that he saw Peter when we do something wrong. I know that Peter was disappointed. I know he was ashamed. I know he felt really, really bad for what he did. I know he was hurting on the inside greatly. And then the person that he had hurt the most was about to be hanging on a cross. He had betrayed one of his best friends, even to the point, if you read those scriptures, even to the point of cursing and swearing that he didn't know this man. This was the same Jesus that Peter had just called master earlier. This was the same Jesus that, that had let Peter walk on the water. This is the same Jesus that Peter had seen miracle after miracle and did nothing but good for people. Yet Peter stood up and swore that he didn't even know who this man was. This is the same Jesus that we serve today, and he's alive. It's the same Jesus who on the third day came out of the tomb after dying on the cross for my sins and your sins. This is my Jesus. Oh, it's easy to say, I'm not like Peter. I'd never deny Jesus. Oh, really? I have a long story. I know I only got a few minutes left, so I won't tell it all, but I'll shorten it the best I can because I had a Peter moment that I will never forget in my life. I'd went to work for conveyor engineering and, and all this stuff, and I had a moment where, man, I just wasn't selling nothing at all. I was scared to death. I'd left a job that I'd been at for 15 years. I had an appointment in Alabama that not one appointment made that day. And I was driving down the road, and I saw a sign that said, Be still and know that I'm God. It's no joke. 
I pulled over on the side of the road and we didn't have cell phones like we had today. I had an Atlas map for those of y'all remember those. And I opened it up to the state of Alabama and all I could see was Gunnerville, Mississippi. There was, a, there was a river there. And I thought, I couldn't look nowhere else. And I thought, okay, God, that's where I'm going. Long story short, I went there, I drove around, I picked out businesses that I thought had my equipment, and I went right there. The next day, I went back that night to the room, and I got, I got phone numbers, and I started cold calling. The next morning, every customer that I called saw me that day. Fast forward, not too long ago, there was a tornado that hit Opelika, Alabama. Again, I'm going with eight days of hope. I get a call from Tucker Milligan in Gunnersville, Alabama, and I meet a guy there named John. Me and John are standing there, and we're talking at the end, and I, I know what he wants, and I'm trying to, I'm going to go help him eventually, you know. But anyway, I'm telling him this story about how I had found Tucker Milligan several years earlier. And I told him the whole story except for the part about the road sign. They said, be still and know that I'm God. I told him about the part, every part except for the praying part over this map and tears falling on this map because I'm going, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And Jesus is like, go here. I told him every bit of this story. Y'all, my truck is packed full of stuff. I'm fixing to go serve to try to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Opelika, Alabama. This man looked straight at me, and he said, you know what I do when I get in situations like that? I said, what's that, Mr. John? He said, I pray. He said, I see your bracelets. I had one that said John 3.16. I all but cried right there in front of that man. And I said, Mr. John, let me tell you the rest of the story. And I backed up, and I told him the rest of the story. I can imagine the gut punch because I know what I felt. And I denied Jesus right there. Because let me tell you something. I don't know where you are. I know, I know that there's times, hey, I've been there. I'm not, I'm not knocking nobody. But maybe you're standing around the water cooler. Or my newfound friend, Elijah from Massachusetts would say, they call it the bubbler, not the water fountain. And somebody's telling an off-color joke, or maybe you're telling it, or whatever that looks like. Here's what I know. If you don't take a stand for Jesus, if you don't say a word, that's still denial. It's no different other than you didn't speak up. It's still denial in your heart because you know you should have. I know. I'm sorry, y'all. Encounter forgiveness. Moving on. I get this from John 21, 15 through 17. And basically this is where Jesus, they know, the disciples know that Jesus is out of the tomb. They don't really know what's going on. Peter's hanging around. He don't really know what to do. He still feels terrible. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to go back to what I used to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so the other people with him says, you know what? Let's go. So we're going to go fishing. And just kind of like before, they go and they fish all night. Guess what? They didn't catch nothing. Sound familiar? So early the next morning, Jesus is walking on the shore and he calls out to them. And Jesus said, y'all caught anything? Nope. Jesus says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they did, they caught so many fish, they were unable to pull up their nets. 
When Peter realized that this was Jesus, he didn't wait to get to shore. Peter jumped in the water and took off swimming. Scriptures say it was about 100 yards. I don't think it mattered how far it was. What it mattered was that Peter needed Jesus. He was desperate for him. He needed him. Nothing else really mattered. The only thing at that moment that mattered to Peter was making it back to Jesus. I can't imagine what a beautiful picture and what a beautiful scene this must have been and how Peter must have felt. Have you ever had those moments, regardless of what you've done, that you couldn't wait to get back to Jesus? Where you don't care who knows or who says what or who talks about you, the only thing that matters is making things right with Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus is way more concerned about your comeback than he ever is about your setback. Don't forget that. I want to talk about what Jesus said to Peter. But first, I want to talk about what Jesus didn't say to Peter. Jesus didn't come to Peter and say, Peter, how could you do that to me? He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't say, how could you be so stupid? How could you betray me? We were best friends. He didn't say any of those things. Not one thing. What I think about when I, when I read this too is I think about the prodigal son who come home to the father. And you know what? The father had forgiven the son long before he ever come home and asked for it. Jesus had already done the same thing with Peter. In fact, Jesus says, your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. The other thing that Jesus didn't say to Peter, he didn't say, do you still like me? Peter, do you still go to church? Peter, do you still pray? He didn't say anything like that. Instead, what did he say? He said, Peter, do you love me? I believe there's a significant correlation between Peter denying Jesus three times and Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? But what I thought about when I read this is I wonder if Jesus is going, hey, Jeffrey, do you love me? Every time I mess up, how many times a week does Jesus have to go, hey, Jeffrey, do you still love me or do you love me? How many times in a month? How many times does Jesus have to do that? So the last part about this is when Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter finally answered on the third time. He said, Jesus, you know I love you because you know all things. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm no English scholar here by no means, but this can be a noun, but it's also an action verb. Because when he says, feed my sheep, because you love me, that requires action. I think for us, it seems like most of the time we're way more concerned about getting fed than we are about the feeding. And don't get me wrong, we need to be fed. But as disciples and as Christians, Jesus commands us that we're supposed to be feeding too. That's why he gives us the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I promise I'm fixing to close. In closing, though, I want to go back to Kentucky. I want you to picture this scene. We're in the last, it's the last morning that we're going to be there. It's our last meal. It's our last breakfast. We're standing in this concrete hallway, concrete block hallway, and we're gathered up because we're going to do what we always do. We circle up, we pray. And as we're holding hands, I can't remember the cook's name, but he was pretty awesome. He's a guy from Arkansas. So he's red like, redneck like me. I could relate to him. 
And he said, I want to say something before we close the day. And he said, there's a lot of people who meant to be here. He said, but they all had excuses. And he said, the thing is, is every one of you had the same excuses. But your reason for being here outweighed your excuse not to be. I don't know why you're here today, but I'm glad that you are. I'm glad that your excuse not to be outweighed your, I how to say that, you know what I mean? I'm glad your excuse to be here outweighs your excuse not to be here. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, then I am there with you. So I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit's in this room today. I have no idea where you may be on your journey with Jesus, but here's one important truth that I want to share with you and don't miss this. Man, I've struggled with this. I don't know if you have something in your life that you know that Jesus has convicted you of and you continue to do it. But please don't mistake God's love, God's grace, and God's patience as God's acceptance. I'm going to say that again because that's a lot. If God's convicting you of something today that you know that's wrong in your life and you continue to do it, don't mistake God's love, God's grace, and God's patience as God's acceptance. Because it's not. And judgment's coming at some point. God's going to hold you accountable. Here's what I'd like for everybody to do. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'd like for you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I don't know where you are today in your journey, but what I want you to do at this moment, I just want you to be real with Jesus because that's all that really matters. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. It doesn't matter who's beside you. It doesn't matter who's in front of you. It doesn't matter who's behind you. In fact, just pretend there's nobody in this room except you and Jesus. Pretend you're in a two-by-two box. And there's nobody there but you and Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. In this moment, will you and Jesus right there face to face what would you say to Jesus if you're 100% truthful with what you would say what would you tell Jesus right now what would Jesus say to you how would the conversation start if Jesus looked at you like he did Peter and he said, do you love me? How would you answer? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never even had a personal encounter with Jesus. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you got a lot of head knowledge, but you don't have a lot of heart knowledge about Jesus. Maybe you look good to all the outside world. Maybe you look like you're on the dream team. Maybe you look a lot like Judas. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you know, you know 
that you need to invite Jesus into your heart. In a few minutes, there's going to be a time of invitation, and Brother Danny's going to be up back, and I promise you, all you got to do is slip out the back. Somebody will be there. We'd love to tell you about Jesus. I'm begging you, don't leave the building today the same way that you walked in. Today can be your encounter with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you do have a personal relationship, as I feel like most people in this room do. But over time, when it comes to be obedience, you've strayed away, or maybe you're even still running. Maybe it's just time to stop and make things right. You have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience. Maybe you're here today, and you know there's just things in your life that, that aren't the way they should be. Maybe it's time to be like the prodigal son and just come home and say, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Forgiveness is waiting for you. All you got to do is ask. Maybe here today you're in the middle of a storm. Maybe you don't even really know how to pray. Maybe you just need to get a friend and come to this altar and say, just pray with me. I need you. I need help. Maybe you're here today and God's calling you to surrender to something else. Maybe to the ministry. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you today, my only prayer is that you surrender to whatever God's calling you about. That you're obedient. This altar is wide open. It's about the same distance from your head to your heart as it is from the knees to the floor. If you want a good start at fixing things, that's a good place to start it's on your knees. I don't know what any of these options look for you today, look like for you today. But I know if the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something, you have an opportunity to do business before you leave this place. And I pray that you don't leave the same as you come in.